Hey everyone, Josh Case here, your online campus pastor here at Calvary Christian Center. Welcome to our podcast. May today's message bring healing, hope, and ultimately transformation. Hope you enjoy today's message. And you're able, would you stand one final time for the reading of God's word? Are you ready for the word today? I feel like preaching just a little bit in here today and, uh, our apostle will be back next week. Uh, we're excited. He's had time to rest. He's had time to be with family. And that's a good thing, church. I said, that's a good thing, church. And um, he's coming back, ready to go. He's called me. He's got 67 new sermons and vision. And I like it when he comes back rested. I also know that uh, keep him and his family in your prayers. As you know, apostle's mother did pass over the last few weeks. And uh, they're going to take care of some business there. So if you think about them, just say a prayer for them as they walk through and traverse that. It's never easy losing somebody that was that close, of course, as a parent or as somebody in the family. So we lift them up. But I feel like God has something to say to you today. Did you come ready to receive the word of God? If you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John chapter 15. And I want to dig down into something. I heard Pastor Jennifer preached it up last week to remain rooted and grounded in God and I thought I heard it was phenomenal and I know that there's some men in this room where the wolves at where are the wolves men are you in the room yeah and uh, God has been good to us over these last few weeks and I just believe he's going to say something today John chapter 15 verses 1 through 5 and verses 9 and 10 and that's my assignment if you got it say amen, amen. this is what the word of the Lord would say today red letters Jesus is speaking he says this I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it might bear more fruit you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Watch this. For without me you can do nothing. Verse 9. He continues the discourse and says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. I've read all that, but something just dropped in my spirit this week while I was studying. It's in the B clause of verse 9. Throw, throw, throw verse 9 up there. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Watch this. Abide in my love. So as I was praying, the Spirit of God sent me with a prophetic reminder to tell you that no matter what happens in the future, in your life, no matter what's happening in the world around you, God sent me to tell you to make sure that no matter what, that you stay in love. Stay in love. Love, let me pray and I'll preach. Father, I thank you for what I sense. I sense your love. It's running wild. 
in Jesus name thank you amen you can be seated as you look at as you see the look at somebody say stay in love yes yeah, stay stay in love stay in love as we move into this next move of God and in this season of revival we must understand that one of the greatest responsibilities handed to those who will steward this move of God is that there must be a people who understand the power of establishing God's, reestablishing God's intended standards. I want to say that again. That as we move into this next move of God, God undoubtedly wants us to understand that he is looking for a people who know how to reestablish his intended standards. Because God's got standards. I know that the world has standards and that there are carnal standards and worldly standards, but make no mistake about it, before they even had a chance to put theirs on paper, God had standards. Standards in this room, like watch this, standards like faithfulness. How many know in this room that God is a faithful God? Oh, I wish I had some people that would talk to me. I said, how many know in this room that God is a faithful God? That if you look back over your life, you can see that the only reason you ended up in some places and made it through and that you didn't die and you didn't stay addicted, but he brought you out wasn't because of how good you were, but only because of how great God was. And God has been faithful in your life. How many know in this room that the only reason you got the job you got and got the promotion you got and had the bonuses you got, the only reason you're in the house you're in and have the life you have and have the spouse you have wasn't because of you, baby, but it was because of the faithfulness of God in your life. Is there anybody that could take 10 seconds at the beginning of my message and thank God for his faithfulness in your life? God has been faithful. God has been good. And there should be some services where we don't even need the worship team to have church because we should enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and his courts with praise, all to testify that God has been who he said he would be in our lives. And God is faithful. And in reciprocity, God is looking for the kind of people because he is faithful. He is looking for a faithful people. The kind of people who will not be blown by every wind of doctrine and by every whim of confusion. The kind of people who understand that because God has been so good that I can put my roots down and stand on the word of God. They sang it like this when I was a child. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God the B-I-B-L-E there have got to be some people in 2022 who say that no matter the chaos surrounding my life I am putting my roots down and I will not be moved and I will be faithful to God as he has been faithful to me somebody who believes it say amen and God has standards standards like faithfulness can I go deeper standards like holiness God is a holy God. Oh, did you hear what I said? I said, he's holy. Let me put it in your way. There's nobody like our God. There is no God beside our God. Our God is in a class all by himself and there will never be another. Some have searched high and they've searched low. And here's what they found out. That this God is the God above every other God with a name that is above every other name. And this God is indeed holy. He is set apart. You know he's so holy that they haven't even changed the song in heaven. 
Somebody tried to go over and change it, and they said, we can't even change it. Why? Because the angels circle the throne of God, and every time they go around, they catch a glimpse of something new, and every time they catch a glimpse of something new, the only thing they can sing is holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. Is there anybody in the room uh, that has a kind of worship this morning, a praise this morning that could mimic heaven and the angels, and we say in this room, he is holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The problem in the Western church is we have taught you that holiness is what you do. But before holiness is reflected in what you do, it's established in who you are. Holiness is who you are before it's what you do. And God is looking for the kind of people who understand that if he is holy, he is calling us to be holy. Well, how do we become holy? By attaching, our, attaching ourselves to what already is. The closer you get to God, the more holy he makes you. Don't miss what I just I said. The closer you get to God, the more he takes off what you don't need and puts on what you do need. The closer you get to God, he will strip off all the stuff that will take you and taint you. He alone will put you inside himself and say, as I am, so you already are. You are holy. Never forget that we are indeed a holy people. And because he is holy, and we are striving to be like him, we can't go everywhere everybody else goes. And we can't talk like everybody else talks, and we can't watch what everybody else watches. Come on, somebody, talk to me. We can't listen to what everybody else listens to, not because it's religious, but because he is holy. And God has standards, standards like faithfulness, and standards like holiness, but the one I came for today is one perhaps that's not being preached a lot in pulpits today. I came to talk to you about the standard of fruitfulness. Because God is a fruitful God. If you don't believe me, take one deep breath in and then exhale and you'll see how fruitful God has been. You realize that God said, let there be light. And that same light, that same light from a long time ago is still lighting. You do know that from let there be grass and let there be seeds and fruit and animals, that there are still animals and seeds. Do you realize that the same let that said that there should be planets and stars. Take a look tonight when the sun goes down, if it's clear, and those same stars are still out there because God has been fruitful and God is indeed looking for the kind of people in 2022 who will be fruitful people for if we are not fruitful how will they ever taste and see 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 the world isn't looking at your faithfulness they're not necessarily staring at your holiness but what they are waiting on is your fruitfulness 
They are waiting to see something come from your life that they can latch on to, grab and taste and go, wow, that God is who that person said he was. Where is the generation of people who understand that your call is not just to simply come here and listen to a sermon and sing a few songs, but your job is to come in this room and get equipped for every good work that God can make you fruitful in the time that you're alive sad part about the American church is we have taught you that you come in here and get entertained. And so if my favorite preacher's not here or our favorite music isn't saying, we leave frustrated and deflated and disappointed. But if you ever come in this room understanding that fruitfulness is the goal, you won't come in here to be entertained. You'll come in here to be equipped. You'll come in this room and say, put something in my tool belt. Make an investment in my life so that when I leave this place, I can turn something upside down for Jesus. Is there anybody with me this morning who can say, God, make me fruitful? And I wondered, I wondered, am I, am I preaching to anybody this morning? I wondered, God, I wondered, God, 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 why, why have we become so unenamored with fruitfulness? And I figured it out because in the Western church, we have become so enamored with giftedness. We love giftedness more than we love fruitfulness. And we would rather be in the spotlight then be the spotlight shining ourselves on Jesus. We, we are enamored with giftedness. Well, why are we enamored with giftedness? Because, because you can get gift in a moment. You do know you can come to an altar, have somebody impart a gift, and leave this place with a gift that you didn't have before you came. Giftedness happens quick, but fruitfulness? You, you can't get fruitfulness overnight. Y'all are way too quiet. You can't get some good fruit in one service. Let me tell you, fruit takes time. Fruit takes process. Maybe that's why they don't love church and they don't love God. It's because you have rushed process so much and so frequently that you're giving them stuff that has not matured. And they are equating your immature fruit to an immature God and saying, if that's what God is, I don't want it. But I feel like I'm, I feel like preaching. I feel like I'm in a room with some people who say, God, whatever you got to do and however long it takes to produce some stuff in me that lives beyond me, God, I am cool with the process. America spits on this concept. Because we have a drive-through mentality in kingdom environments. We want it our way, how we want it, when we want it, if we want it. We, we are the kind of people who says, give it to me today or I don't want it at all. But can I tell you something? God gives gifts, but he grows fruit. He gives gifts, but he grows fruit fruit. You do know, moms and dads, there has never been a revival that lasted beyond one generation. There has never been a revival that got into the next generation. I love Brownsville, but Brownsville didn't make it to the next generation. I love Azusa. Can I preach this? I love Azusa, but Azusa never made it to the next generation. Can I tell you what God is doing? He is trying to make an investment in a people who will mind the investment so much uh, that we bear the kind of fruit uh, that lives long after we 
we are gone so that your six-year-old knows the power of the Holy Ghost and your 13-year-old knows Pentecostal fire and so that your grandchildren's grandchildren can know a move of God. Is there anybody who says, God, make me fruitful for the next generation? You've got to be cool with process if you're going to get the good stuff in the kingdom. The great stuff in God's kingdom never comes quick. It's grown from seed to tree. Pastor Josh, why would you take this amount of time and talk to us about faithfulness and holiness and ultimately fruitfulness? Because, ladies and gentlemen, this is the subject, the substratum of the text I bring before you. Jesus, in a discourse of union, is beginning to talk to them about what union produces. That if you come into union with Christ, you can't help but be fruitful for Christ. He is painting the picture of what relationship produces. And not mundane, mediocre relationship, but that I love you with all of my heart and don't care who knows it kind of relationship. He is looking for the kind of relationship that produces. And so he says, in the context of union and the theme of fruitfulness, let me put it on the imagery of agriculture. The whole text is on the imagery of agriculture because God is an agriculturalist. Yes, he is. God loves agriculture. All you got to do is read your Bible and you can figure it out real fast. God loves things like gardens. Now, I can't say I like them, but God loves them. Gardens. He loves things like seed, time, and harvest. He, he likes things like figs. And he is an agriculturalist. So you can't even understand union and you can't understand fruitfulness without first understanding agriculture. Will you take the journey with me? Because agriculture is a powerful word in the imagery used. Because agriculture, agra meaning of the ground, culture to force upon. The first thing God wanted to let us know is that he is the kind of God who takes good seed and can plant it into bad ground and still get good return. See, in our earthly ways, we need the ground be good to be good so that the seed can produce. But God is so big and God is so powerful. And God is so mighty that he can take the seed that's you, that's good, and put you in some circumstances and some situations and still get some good fruit in bad places. What am I trying to tell you in this room? I'm trying to tell you that how you grew up was not a mistake. That where you grew up was not a mistake. That what you came through is not a mistake. But God knew exactly what to do with your life. And when he got you, he put you in the place so that you could be the change you do know you're called to change atmospheres oh I feel like preaching right here I said you do know you're called to change stuff uh, you do know you're called to come into the room and when you come in the room I feel the anointing you're supposed to carry the kind of glory that makes devils leave uh, and devils run and anxiety go out the door you're called uh, to carry the kind of anointing that when you show up uh, sickness runs uh, and healing comes uh, not by might uh, or by power but by the spirit of the living God came to tell you you have been chosen to change the atmosphere God has chosen you that no matter what you're in and what you're involved in he has chosen you to be the seed of change so you can't quit and you can't give up 
and you can't run, and you can't leave the marriage, and you can't leave the family, and you can't run away, you have to know that if he planted me there, there is only, only one option for God, and that is success. You are not an accident. Let me say this. I feel this in my spirit. You are not what your daddy did. You are not what your mama said. You are not the generational curses starting your great, great game. No, no, no. You are not that. You are the seed of change for a whole generation. You are the seed of change for your job and your family. You are the seed of change. And he says in the context of union and the theme of fruitfulness on the imagery of agriculture, God says, Listen to what my son says to bring you into all that I have prepared. And Jesus steps up in John 15 in the middle of a discourse and says, I am the true vine. Let me preach that for just a moment because that is a definitive statement about who he is. He is trying to tell you that I am the one you've been waiting on. I'm the one that you've been trying to get to to satisfy your soul. By saying I am the true vine, he is first saying that every other carnal or worldly vine is incompetent compared to me. He's saying ain't none of that other stuff that calls itself a vine. can none of it fulfill your soul like I can. See, you're too churchy on me this morning. But some of us have a testimony that we were out in the club and we were drinking and we were trying drugs and we were hooking up and we were with this person and that person and we were trying really just to see what could satisfy us. But there are some people in this room that understand that once you tried everything else and finally tried Jesus, you found out real quickly that only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Oh, is there anybody in the room who can testify for just a moment, has a praise for just a moment, a little bit of worship for just a moment, that says I tried Jesus and can't nobody do me like Jesus oh I dare somebody to take about 10 seconds and worship in this room to let your road know your section know that can't nobody do me like Jesus he satisfies my soul he says I am the true vine oh all these other vines carnal vines they're inferior Incompetent, and he's trying to say that every other religious vine is inferior to me. That I am not a vine amongst other vines. I said, He is not a vine amongst other vines. He is not on the same plane as Buddha, Muhammad, or Krishna. I'll say it in the camera, I ain't scared. Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life nobody comes to the father but by me and in a world where they're trying to run preachers off and trying to bring Jesus down I say let Jesus be lifted high he is still the way the truth and the life nobody like Jesus if you believe what I'm preaching shout in this room I feel a fight coming on me I feel a fight coming on me. 
I'm tired of them trying to bring my Jesus down on a level he don't belong. I'm, trying to have, I'm tired of them telling me that he's like other gods and you can have this and that baby. No, it's Jesus and Jesus and J-E-S-U-S. It's Jesus. Jesus. He said, I am the true vine. Can I go deeper? And he says, and my father is the vine dresser. The power of those two statements are enough for you to leave this room with your soul fed. Because Jesus is saying that if you like what you see, if you like this vine, the only reason I am who I am and what I am is because of how good my daddy is. See, y'all ain't ready for me this morning. But that's some of our testimony in this room. Uh, that if it was up to us, we wouldn't have much of a reputation. We wouldn't have much of a testimony. We wouldn't have much of a life. Uh, but if you want to know why I am the way I am and who I am the way I am, it's only because of how good my daddy is. Uh, it's only because of how good my father is. It's only because of how good the vine dresser has been. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. And the reason why we shout about the vine and we are not as loud about the vine dresser is because perhaps in America we have divorced the perspective of the way we see the Father and the way we love the Son. Because we love the Son. Oh, yes, we do. We love Jesus. I love Jesus. I, I love Jesus. I love the, I love, I'm so glad he took the stripes and the nails and the crown. I love Jesus. But, but if you start talking about the Father to most Western Christians, most of those folks get real quiet because we love the Son, but we're not sure. Because we have been taught that the Father is the polar opposite of the Son. The Son is loving, but the Father is angry. See how quiet it just got? We have taught you that the Father is ready to strike you and get you. And if you don't do right, he's coming after you. But Jesus spits in the face of all that when he says, I and my Father are one. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He said, please let, oh, please let me let you know that perhaps one of the reasons I came was to die. But perhaps a greater reason was to come to restore and redeem your poor perspective of my daddy. Because what Jesus is trying to tell you is that the only reason I became the vine I am is because of the care given to me by my Father. And his promise is, is that if I love Jesus that way, I will love all of my children that way. The same care given to the Son is the same care given to every one of his children. Ooh, are you hearing me? And so to say... I got to hurry. And so to say that my father is the vine dresser, it implies some pretty profound things. It implies, number one, of, of his protective care. If he is going to be your vine dresser, he has already made up his mind that he will care to the point of protection. Maybe this ain't for everybody. But if I look back over my life, I realize that had he not protected me, I'd be six feet under. Y'all way too religious, but I'm going to preach it if it's just for me. If he had not protected me, 
I would have fell into every snare of the enemy. If he had not protected me, I could be an addict on the streets right now. If he had not protected me, I could have been with the wrong people doing the wrong things, but he protected me. I wonder if there's anybody on a Sunday morning that knows how to give God some praise just at the thought of how he protected you and every time he kept you so that the enemy could not get from you what the enemy desired of you. He protected me. And some of us praise God there for what we saw God protect us from. But let me tell you about some moments in your life that you didn't see the enemy coming. You didn't see the devil on his way getting ready to take you out. And before the enemy could get to you, God got to the enemy. And he choked that joker out before he could steal your life. And I know you praise him for what you saw him protect you from. But is there anybody that can give God some praise for the times in your life you know nothing about? That God got to the enemy before the enemy could get to you. He protected you. Uh, he, he said, if I'm going to be the vine dresser, just know I'm going to be your protector. Oh, Hallelujah. He said, if I'm going to be your vine dresser, he said, it implies, secondly, that I will be faithful to you. Now, I know I talked about the faithfulness of God, but let me put it on a different lens. I'm talking about this kind of faithfulness. He who has begun a good work is faithful to bring that thing to completion in your life. God says, I will be so faithful that if I ever said it, that settles it and you can believe it until you see it. That ain't for everybody, but there's some people in this room waiting for God to do something he said a long time ago. And you're worried, is it ever going to happen? Is it going to come to pass? But I hear the Holy Ghost telling me, sit back, relax, put your praise hat on and your praise dance on and your praise shoes on. Because the Holy Ghost told me to tell you, it's on the way. I don't know who I'm talking to, but some of you got some promises that haven't come to pass. I dare you to take 30 seconds and lose your mind in worship and say, God, thank you, because now I know it's on the way. Yeah, it's on the way, mama. It's on the way, daddy. It's on the way, daughter. God is about to bless you. It is on the way. He will be faithful. He will be faithful. I can talk about it now. I can talk about it now. I had eight years of doctors telling me what couldn't happen and what wasn't going to happen and you'll never be a daddy. And I had to come in services just like this and still dance my shoes off and shout and preach and holler and spit. Why? Because God said it in my life. And let me tell you how faithful God is. I got an almost five-year-old little girl right now that I can praise God for because at the end of the day, God is faithful. God is my vine dresser. He said, I will make sure you're protected. I will make sure that you see my faithfulness. He said, and I will also make sure you understand my watchfulness. And everybody shouts and praises God over his watchfulness. Until they realize that God does more than watch over you. God also looks at you. And we love the watching over. Until you realize that the moment you made him Lord, that you gave him permission to get in there and start saying, that don't look right, and that ain't right, and 
I don't like that. That attitude stinks. Get that out of here. I see gossip over there. I see that over there. See, see, if you really love the Lord, you won't frown when he brings the blessing of conviction. You'll get excited knowing that conviction is really an admittance of presence in your life. See, you used to, I used to preach things, I preached about conviction, and people would shout, shout, shout in the church. Because they understood that conviction ultimately meant that his grace was still with me and he had not left me, though I had sinned against him. See, but now we in a church world where everybody thinks they can do whatever they want, however they want. They can block whoever they want, talk however they want, say what they got to say, and there's no repercussions. But I came to tell you, if you're a child of God, God still has his eyes on you. And you can fool the preacher and the staff. But baby, you can't fool God. You can put on your church suit, your church makeup, have your church dance, do your religious calisthenics, and guess what? Monday through Saturday, God still has his eyes on you because God cares enough not to let you become something you're never meant to be. He said, I will look at you in a way of saying that if I'm Lord, I have permission to deal with every aspect of your life that is not like me. Can I be real deep for just a second? See, we call that wrath. See, in the church world, we have given you false definitions of what real kingdom theology looks like. We have taught you that God's wrath is against you. But the wrath of God is not after you. It's after anything that would stand between you and God. Y'all way too quiet. I just dropped a bomb in here on you. I said the wrath of God is not with something aimed at you. It's aimed at anything that's getting in front of you and God. And God will do whatever it takes to remove the obstruction and the hindrance to make sure there is nothing blocking pure union with him. Let me show you what I mean. The other day, Jocelyn was playing. She fell in a bush. Yes, she did. She's four. Fell in the bush. At first, I wanted to get mad at Jocelyn until Jocelyn said, help. I was upset that she didn't listen, and, but she said, help. And the minute she said, help me, my attitude changed to not being mad at Jocelyn, but being mad at the bush that still had Jocelyn in its grasp. See, that's what God does when he sees you entangled in stuff you don't belong in. He will come in your life with wrath. What kind of wrath? The kind of wrath that says, let my child go. The kind of wrath that says, let them loose and free. The kind of wrath that says, who the son sets free is free in deep. Somebody who hears what I'm saying, give God a shout of praise in this room. Hurry, Josh. Hurry, I feel the anointing. Oh, I feel something. See, the devil didn't want you to know that. He wanted you to see God is mad. See, now verse 2 makes sense. Because then he says, if God is going to be watchful, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I take it away. He's looking to see who's bearing fruit and who's not bearing fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I remember. Let me stop right here and kill hater theology. Because you don't reserve the right, according to this scripture, 
to remove anybody from your life. See, we live in the culture where if they do me wrong, they gone. You been on Facebook in the last weekend? Yeah. If, we, if they do us wrong, how? But what he's trying to tell you is be careful that you don't run somebody out of your life in one season that you might need in the next. Because just because they don't look like you want them to look and sound like you want them to sound and have what you think they ought to have, doesn't mean that one day in the future they're not going to have it. And wouldn't it be a shame for you to need something they have, but because you got offended, you cut somebody out. He said, the only person that has the right to remove anybody from your life is me. You need your haters. He says, Selah. He says, any branch that does not bear fruit, I remove it. And there we go again with the angry father. Because as soon as we see that he's going to remove it, we simply see our God with scissors and shears. And here comes angry daddy, ready to cut us out. That is unless you know your Greek. Because the Greek word here for cut away or to take away literally is the Greek word eros. Not meaning to cut away, but rather meaning to lift up. In other words, before God throws you away, he'd rather lift you up. That even when you're not bearing fruit and you're not doing what you're called to do and you're not being in the places you're supposed to be doing the stuff you're called, he says, before I get upset with you, I would rather come in with goodness, grace, and mercy and come in your life and lift you up until you become what you're called to be. See, that's a word for somebody in the room who's gone through some seasons where you felt like you were falling. And I came to tell you that the righteous man may fall seven times, but he keeps getting up again. Well, how does he keep getting up again? Because God lifts him up so he can keep moving forward. Is there anybody thankful for God that knows how to lift you up where you belong? He said, I will lift you until you start growing fruit again. I don't, that's grace to know that I have been lifted back into a safe place of production. He said, every branch in me, he said, that does not bear fruit, I don't toss it away. I lift it. I lift it until it tells me it don't want anything to do with me. That's the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And then he says, y'all still with me? You give me three more hours? Just kidding, it's July 4th. I ain't going to do that to you. <laughs> he says, but every branch in me that is bearing fruit, that does bear fruit, watch this. He says, I prune it. Now, when I read that, can I be transparent? <laughs> I didn't like that. Because I was expecting him to say every branch that's bearing fruit, doing the right thing, I bless it. Oh, come on, don't be religious. Every branch is doing the right thing. I promote it. I give it raises. Come on, somebody. But he said, even if you're doing it right, cutting's coming. That no matter what season you're in, cutting comes to everybody. But here's the difference. If you are bearing fruit and I prune you and I cut you here, he said, it's the decrease is an invitation for increase on another level. That if I ever start subtracting from your life, 
and you say, God, I'm in you doing the right thing, God said, the only reason is because you have made them your source instead of me. And I had to remove some stuff so that you could go from having fruit to more fruit. So what am I trying to tell you? If you're in a season of decrease, get excited, get happy, get, oh, hallelujah, get your praise on. Because all that means is in due season, God is about to do something through you and in you that's greater than what you could ever do for yourself. And I came to prophesy to some people this morning, you're about to move from fruit to more fruit in Jesus' name. You're about to see God do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think because you've stayed in him. Every branch that's bearing fruit, I got to hurry. Every branch that's bearing fruit, he said, watch this. He said, I prune it. And once again, we see scissors and shears. Unless you know you're Greek. Because the first time to take away was eros, meaning to lift. But he says, there's a blessing. For every person bearing fruit, I give you the blessing. The blessing in the Greek is called katharos. Pruning, katharos, literally meaning to clean. The blessing I give to fruit, to people who are bearing fruit, is I give them the blessing of being a constant in their life and cleaning you up on a daily basis. Because the attack of the enemy changes on this dimension. When you are not bearing fruit, the attack of the enemy is destruction. But if you are bearing fruit, the enemy moves from, watch this, destruction to interruption. The enemy will work awfully hard for, in fruit-bearing people's lives, watch this, to keep them clogged. To keep them from getting everything from the vine as the branch. He will do everything. Things like, watch this, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, disappointment, and offense. The enemy will try to block the flow. And he says, I'm going to give you the blessing. It's called catharos blessing. Well, what's catharos? It's where we get our word catheter. In other words, God says, I'm going to bless you so much, I'm going to put a system in place that flushes out every toxic thing before it interrupts the flow of every good thing I ever put in your life. Uh, and somebody in this room needs to understand how awesome that blessing is because if you operate in the catharos blessing, you won't, you won't even have a chance to be uh, offended because you'll forgive them long before they do you wrong. He says, I will put the blessing in. To make you clean. You can play softly. He said, I'll make you clean. He said, I'll make sure that there is nothing holding up the flow between you and me. Because the goal is union and the purpose is fruit. The world is waiting on fruitful people. Well, how do I stay fruitful? Now verse 3 finally makes sense. Because it doesn't really fall in if you read it as is. Jesus says out of nowhere, you are all clean because of the word I said to you. Meaning that the way he keeps us clean so that we can have this kind of relationship, he says, I do it through the word and the word alone. The Bible says you can be made clean through the washing of the word. Here's what I know about God. God would rather give you a sermon than give you a circumstance. He would rather give you a sermon than a situation. You know, as pastors, sometimes we sit in meetings with people needing counseling and needing advice. And sometimes I sit there as they're talking to me and they're talking and they're talking. And I sit back and I go, 
if you would have just listened to the sermon Sunday. That's not, that's, that's not you, it's somebody else on your row. If they would have just listened to the message, the message would have done so much better job than I'm about to do in this meeting. Because God loves to give you his word to keep you clean. Rather than give you something outside of his word that will force you to come in and say, God, make me clean. Which takes me to this. I preached all that to say, you're clean because of the word. He now says, if you're ready for this life, here's how you get there. Abide in me. And I will abide in you. Abide in me, he says. Step into a new dimension of relationship. Well, what dimension is it? It's called the in him dimension. It is called the doctrine of union with Christ. And the reason why the church is so quiet is because we have departed from the doctrine that was essential to the early church. You would have never talked to the disciples or the patristic fathers and them not talk to you about union with Christ. They would have talked to you and said to you that the only way you can enjoy your salvation is through union with Christ. Church ain't going to cut it by itself. Songs and sermons. No, no, no. You need the in him dimension. You need union with Christ. You in him and him in you. That's how you're going to find true joy. That's why the Apostle Paul would say things like, in him we live and move and have our being. Christ in you, the hope of glory. All you got to do is read Ephesians 1 and just underline in him, in him, in him. And you'll find out the essential doctrine of being in the in him dimension, union with Christ. And here's why we don't like union. It's because to experience union with Christ, you have to step into a kind of relationship that is first mystical. And some of y'all just turn me off right there. Because you don't understand the word mystical. You think mystical equals magical. But mystical simply means it cannot be understood with the five senses. Let me tell you what else can't be understood with five senses. Faith. What he's trying to tell you is to understand this kind of level of relationship and where you become fruitful and have union, you're going to have to step into a place of faith, a, a kind of faith that says, God, I don't understand it, but I believe it. I don't know about it, but I believe it. You need faith. Why do you think he says without faith, it's impossible to please me? Because without faith, you can't even come into all, that who, all of who he really is. You need faith. And maybe we don't have faith because we have lost faith imagination and for some of you that was strike too he said pastor josh said mystical and now he says now he's saying imagination imagination let me let me focus here imagination isn't it amazing how we all need an imagination all have or grow up with an imagination your children have a great imagination I could bring my four-year-old little girl in here and she could turn this sanctuary into Neverland. She could. She'd come in this room and she'd say, our daddy, because she has an imagination. You need an imagination. If imagination was so wrong, why did Jesus say to cast down every evil imagination? 
if, if imagination didn't matter, you had to cast down even, doesn't that speak to the idea that there is a true imagination, a real imagination? What does that imagination do? It aligns your faith to believe in union. He says, I'm done. He says, if you align your faith, imagination, he said, you can step into a dimension of in him. And I love what you have in him. He said, you'll be able to be fruitful and multiply and have the life you've been looking for. Which leads me to my final point. I wanted to stop at verse 5. But I couldn't get out of John 15, verse 9. Because he told me to abide in him. But then he says, make sure, addendum, abide in my love. Abide in me, but whatever you do, abide in my love. Why? Because he's trying to tell you that he cannot guarantee that you're not going to go through some things in your life that aren't going to seem big and crazy and hard. He's trying to tell you that there's going to be some moments out of your control. He's saying you're going to turn on the news sometime and it's going to seem like your nation is crashing and things are burning and you don't know what to do and you don't feel like you can help and you feel like you're helpless and you don't know how it's going to get fixed or how things are going to change. You're going to go through some stuff. He said, but whatever you do, resist the urge to run. Resist the urge to do it your way. Resist the urge to do it in your strength. He said, and make sure that no matter what happens, no matter what you're facing, I feel the Lord, stay. No matter what the doctor's report tells you, stay. No matter what the spouse says or the children say, no matter how much it comes at your life, stay. Stay, he says. In love, he promises that if you'll stay in love, he'll take care of your body. If you stay in love, he'll take care of your mind. Don't miss this final part of this message. If you stay in love, he'll take care of your heart. Can I be deep? He'll take care of your finances and all the provision you need. If you stay, as you stand to your feet, everybody. I feel the Lord. Because I feel like the Lord told me that there would be people in this room today who if you were honest about your life, you're going through some stuff that is making you question everything about God and about your faith. And God is saying, Resist the urge to run. And whatever you do, stay in love. If we stay in love, we'll win people to Jesus. If we stay in love, we'll turn the nation around. See, that's too simple for you because some of you think that we need all this other stuff to make it work. No, no, no. He said, abide in my love. If you stay connected to him, you know why we don't? Because we still think 
that our performance moves God. And some of you have been on the treadmill of performance so long you've borne no fruit. Knowing that your call is not to produce the fruit, it's to bear the fruit that he has produced in you. And if you want to know how you stay in love, watch this. This revelation changed my life. You're going to have to realize that you will get more from attachment than you ever will effort. We have taught your generation that if they perform well enough, read enough, pray enough, dance hard enough, give enough, then maybe God would bless you. And I came to tell you that this text says something completely different. This text says that I am the vine and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do no miracle, no sign, no wonder, no healing. Apart from me, you can't see your son saved. You can't see your body healed, your mind renewed. No, no, no. It's with me. So what's the word of the Lord? Stay in love. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I know I've gone a little long today. But the world's too chaotic for us to continue to do it the way we've always done it. We've got to find the kingdom answer. And that answer is to stay in him and stay in love. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to do two things very quickly. You're in this room and you're walking through something in your life that you say, Pastor Josh, it feels out of my control. It feels too crazy. I need prayer today. I'm walking through a tough season. I'm walking through a tough thing financially, family, in my mind, in my heart. I'm walking through some tough things. If I'm talking to you, come on, I want the count of three. I just want you to slip your hand up. I'm walking through some stuff, Pastor. Hands are going up all across the room. One, two, three. Come on, if I'm talking to you, I'm walking through some stuff, Pastor Josh. Yes. If somebody around you has their hand up, would you just reach over and put your hand on their shoulder? If somebody around you has their hand up, should y'all feel the Lord? Stay in love. I want you to take 30 seconds and I want you to begin to pray for that person. I want you to begin to pray healing and courage and strength over their life. Because the Lord promised me he said that your hand would be almost like the hand of God in this moment. It would be the touch of God. Are you ready? Let's pray one for another. Father, I pray right now. Come on, help, help me. Pray for him. Pray for him. Pray for him. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, Lord, we pray for that person on our right and our left. God, I pray right now, Lord, healing begin to flow to minds, to hearts, to bodies. I pray miracles are happening right now. Lord, I pray miracles are happening right now. God, I pray, Lord, relief. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Uh, relief. Burdens are being lifted. Yokes are being broken in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's message. You can continue to be part of all that God is doing here at Calvary Christian Center. You can text to give at 386-866-3060, or you can visit calvaryfl.com slash give. We would love for you to subscribe to our podcast and also to share this podcast with your community, your family, and your friends. You can also stay connected by following us on social media at Calvary FL and by subscribing to our YouTube channel. Again, thank you for joining us.